baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and on this episode, we're getting to the stuff we've been waiting all year for, and that is October baseball. It is finally postseason time, and this episode will get you primed and ready for the Braves, who know who they're going to be facing now. It's going to be the Cincinnati Reds in the National League wildcard round. 16 teams going in, eight from each league, going to match up, and we'll see who ends up in the World Series. But the first step is home ballparks for the higher seeds as they host a best-of-three wild-card round. And for the Braves, they drew the Reds. I'm going to have Gabe Burns from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution join me ever so shortly, and we'll get you ready with everything you need to know about what's going on with the Braves, what's going on with the Reds, how these two teams match up, and we'll get to our postseason predictions for this first round as well. All of that is coming your way on this episode of From the Diamond. Before we get started, I want to remind you, you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you enjoy the show, please leave a rating and share it with a friend as well. And be sure you're following From the Diamond on social media. You can find the show on Twitter at From the Diamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. You can follow Gabe Burns on Twitter as well, at Gabe Burns, A-J-C. On Instagram, the show is at From the Diamond with no underscore. And I am at Grant McCauley on Instagram as well. And you can find every episode of the show and all the other content at FromTheDiamond.com. So with all of that said, it is time to take a look at what the Atlanta Braves are going to be doing in the postseason. And we know it's expanded this year. We know it's starting with a wild card round. And if you've listened to this show for the past few months, then you know it's time to bring Gabe Burns in to talk about all the goings on with the Braves. And it's a very exciting time of year. We were hoping to get through the 60-game sprint and have postseason baseball. That has come to pass and. Gabe, I'm very happy to have you back on the show and very happy to be talking about postseason baseball. Yeah, Grant, thanks for having me. I'm happy we're here, too. I mean, we talked about it a little before the show, but I mean, there, there was a lot of doubt that this thing could get done. So just credit to everybody involved, and uh, hopefully it's an exciting and successful postseason. Absolutely, and it's going to be a bigger postseason than baseball has ever seen as 16 teams, eight from each league, make it into October this time around. I'm I know we've talked about that as far as, you know, the differences in baseball in 2020 and kind of the uh, the way Major League Baseball tried to make everything work and inject a little bit of excitement into the sport as well. And I think the Braves sitting with the number two seed in the National League, not much has really changed as far as that's concerned, but it is an extra round and they had to wait until the final weekend of the season to find out who they were going to be playing. And as we speculated throughout the last couple of weeks anyway, it is in fact the Cincinnati Reds. Now, interestingly enough, these two clubs obviously have not seen each other this season and last met in the postseason 25 years ago as the Braves were on their way to winning the 1995 World Series in a shortened season and in expanded playoffs. So, Gabe, it's kind of funny how baseball works out sometimes, but what do you make of this Braves and Reds matchup as we get set for that this week? 
I know a lot of Braves fans weren't happy to draw the Reds. And, no, I mean, all the higher seeds were like, let's avoid the Reds. I think that's the last team that mm-hmm. uh, most fans wanted. But I, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see it. I mean, Cincinnati's got a pretty exciting team. Obviously, we know this Braves team is yeah. exciting. I, I think it's a fun matchup. And, and you know what? Somebody, whoever wins this thing, <laughs> their fan base is going to feel really good because that 1995 – meeting um that was i mean that was the last year that cincinnati won a playoff series you know they beat the dodgers to advance to the nlcs and the braves swept them you know they've only been i think four times since and so their misery has been more that they can't even get there than the braves is that they keep getting there and immediately get beat so whichever fan base comes out ahead here is going to be really happy yeah there'll be some relief as far as that's concerned but you mentioned that a lot of braves fans may not have been thrilled about drawing the reds and there's a good reason for that you look at the Reds' starting rotation which of course is led by trevor bauer who could be the national league cy young award winner this year if jacob Degrom doesn't get it again but either way one of the best pitchers in baseball this year Sonny gray was definitely a great number two if you want to call it that be a number one on a lot of other staffs he and bauer then also luis castillo who started off a little bit slowly but is still a really ready for primetime arm that's a three-headed monster that in a three-game series not too many clubs and not too many offenses will be happy to draw interestingly enough as you go back into the reds and look at their season and the breakdown of everything they finished a couple of games over 500 but they were only one game over 500 combined in the game started by bauer gray and castillo with the braves offense gabe that gives me a little bit of hope that maybe you get into that cincinnati bullpen and that's where the winning formula is found for the braves no doubt and and this reds team started pretty slowly too i mean they they had they had a really disappointing start and you know they had a big off season they thought that they were you know i I picked them to win the central and maybe over the course of a full season yeah and maybe over the course of a full season that's how it would have played out i mean but the lineup definitely it underachieved it's it's not too menacing of a lineup uh with the way it's lined up now and and they had a lot of bullpen issues uh early on and so you know ruining some of the starts by these guys but no i mean that's it's a that top three is really really good Uh, now castillo i mean (laughs) once he gets rolling i mean he's a guy who just piles up strikeouts like you said bauer might be the cy young winner and and Sonny Gray has been a completely different. He looks back to himself again since he got out of New York. Or so. better. Yeah, yeah, or better. So they they have a lot going for them. At the same time, the Braves have a pretty good lineup. Uh, in case anyone wasn't aware, this lineup just mashes 103 homers. I think it's 348 runs, I believe, is the number. That's correct. This was on pace to be the best offense in team history. Uh, just power from everywhere. I mean, I, I'm not, everyone listening knows this, but it's a really impressive group. And, and you know, you, you look at you look at these red starters, and, and Bauer in particular. You know, I'm, I'm writing a story today, and I'm, I'm kind of looking at his starts. And this is not to take away from anything he's done, mm-hmm. but he only faced one top 19 offense this season in the White Sox. The Cubs scored the 20th most runs. He held them scoreless over seven and two thirds. His other nine starts this season were against bottom seven offenses in like, you know, the Brewers, the Royals, the Pirates, things like that. So, yeah, again, that's not belittling him, but that is worth noting that this will be by far the most potent lineup that he's faced in game one. Yeah, it certainly will be. You mentioned 348 runs scored by the Braves, second most in all of baseball, just one behind the Dodgers. And if you look at the final weekend of the season, Braves offense 
got a little bit quiet there against the Red Sox after their heroics in the first game of that series. But by and large, the Braves offense is matched up with anybody in all of baseball all year long. 103 home runs on the year, second only to the Dodgers. This was an offense that was certainly rolling. And I know a lot of times as you look at whether it's fans of the Braves or fans of other clubs or just looking at the opponent for the club that you cheer for, whatever side of that proverbial aisle you want to call it, there's a lot of disqualifying sometimes that goes on for some of those stats. But you do, I think, have to look at all of it. And for Bauer, it's not a question of the talent, but it is a question of what kind of lineups has he matched up against. He hasn't had a challenge like this. Now, that may help him rise to the occasion. You never know. Or it just might be one of those things where it's power versus power. And I really feel like that's kind of the underlying story here for the Braves. Their offense is the power of this club, no pun intended. For the Reds, it's the pitching staff, the power pitchers in particular, that has powered them right into October. So I think that's the matchup we're looking at here. Can the Braves offense be up to the task of doing some damage against the Reds' top three starters? Because that seems to be the big question on everybody's mind, at least from the Atlanta side, I would say. Definitely. And, and we saw last year in Cleveland, the Braves really frustrated Trevor Bauer yeah. uh, when they faced him there. And, you know, there was a lot made of Bauer's postgame comments where he was like, I guess they didn't come to swing the bats today. <laughs> I remember Freddie Freeman kind of laughed at that. And just the patience they showed in that game really frustrated him. So, I mean, they've shown that they know, they know how to get to him. I mean, they did it last April. So that's worth noting. And, and the Braves have hit, they've hit power arms this year. I mean, they're very well battle tested. They lost both of the DeGrom starts, but they did face them twice. They beat Max Scherzer. I think they scored, what, five runs off of him in that yeah, start? Yeah, roughed him up a little bit. Yeah, they were responsible for Garrett Cole's worst start of the season. And we remember that monster homer Acuna hit in his first at-bat back from the I.L. off Cole. Mm-hmm. They faced Tyler Glasnow. They roughed up Aaron Nola in that two- or three-inning start a while back. You know, this isn't. it's not like they've just been beating up on bad pitchers. I mean, they've seen some really good pitchers, so they're very well battle-tested for this at this point. Yeah, I think they are as well, but it's all about what you're able to do in these short series. And while it's great to build a big resume in the regular season, and the Braves have done this in the past where they've come out, they've won a lot of games, the offense has looked really impressive, and then all of a sudden things go quiet at the absolute wrong time. And you can't say that that's the case over the last two decades necessarily for the Braves. They've lost a lot of postseason series in what feels like a lot of different ways as well. And as you look at that wide scope of things, I'm interested to get your thoughts on this because for Braves fans, that has to very much be on their mind. Hey, my team has not won a postseason series since 2001. Obviously, Braves fans want that to change. But when you look at, I think, any year's Braves team, especially this far removed from that, do you feel like that adds any kind of pressure to the current roster or are they very much more in the moment of their season and not really worried about things in the past that they really have no control over? I mean, they're definitely focused on the season at hand, but they will think about the last two years. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's human nature to do that. They're not worried about what happened to the 2003 Braves. I mm-hmm. mean, they, they, it doesn't matter. But these past two years, I mean, okay, you look at it, they know, just like everyone else knows, they should have won that series in four last year. 100%. They botched that. I, if I remember right, what they hit, like four for 38 with runners in scoring position in those first four games. Yeah. And, yeah, it was, it was abysmal. They were 0 for 9 in that game four, and they were one clutch hit away from just – and there never would have been a game five, you know, the disaster that was game five. So they're very well aware of that. They're aware that you can – be this dominant in the regular season like they were last year you can hit all these homers you can be flashy all of that 
when you get to the postseason, things can change really quickly. And that's the point that you were just making. And they know that now. Okay, so the Dodgers series, we knew they weren't going to win that. So that was their first experience. They got to see what the stage was like. They got roughed up by the best team. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Last year, they played a team that they were definitely more talented. They were definitely the more talented team in that series. Really, it's funny. Uh, St. Louis's best player was Marcelo Zuna, right? A best player on offense, that is. That's ironic. And we saw how, uh, yeah. So we know he could perform in the postseason because we, I mean, we all saw it firsthand. Mm-hmm. So he saw what happened with the Braves last year. He was on the other end of it, and the Braves experienced that, and that was just a huge letdown. There's no way around it. I mean, they described the season as a failure, and that's what it was. They should have won a postseason series last year. Yep. So those two are relevant to this just in the fact that they have that experience and they know they have a much better understanding just what you have to do in the postseason and surely that they knew they were a better team than the Cardinals last year and they watched the Nationals a team that they were better than for six months go on and win the whole thing so you know I understand the fan misery you know Dansby would understand it uh Tyler Flowers would understand it I I think that you know people who have grown up here and, and just know, I mean, they understand the nearly two decades of just playoff failure. I mean, they understand that what happened, what happens with the Falcons, but n- none of that has to do with Wednesday, Thursday, and potentially Friday. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I get it. I get, we all like to go, oh, no Atlanta sports and all this kind of stuff. I understand that, but you have to, you have to really view the way that they're going to view this is this is this year's team and anything they look back on, would just be the last two postseasons. Yeah, and a peek behind the curtain, you know, for me, I mean, I was born in Georgia, grew up in Georgia. I've been a Braves fan since, you know, I learned how to walk, basically. Same thing to an extent with the Falcons, also University of Georgia. So, I mean, if you want to get outside of just the 404 area code or the, all of the Atlanta area codes, there's been a little bit of sports misery happening in the state of Georgia over the past 10, 20, 30, maybe even 40 years in the case of some teams. But none of that is relevant to the individual clubs and their individual series. Now, to your fandom, it's very relevant because it's the experience that you're living with, and it has been pretty miserable and pretty heartbreaking, more to the point, uh, it's several times, not just for the Braves, but also for other teams in the region. So be that as it may, I do think this is a club that you know has been able to really come together and answer a lot of questions throughout the season and pass a lot of tests and rise above a lot of the challenges that they've faced. And nowhere was that more apparent this year than in the starting rotation as they lost Mike Soroka. They got next to nothing from Cole Hamels. There was really no big reinforcements coming at the trade deadline and some other names that you might have hoped were going to be able to be factors in the rotation, like a Mike Fultonevich or Sean Newcomb. They were not factors whatsoever. So the rotation has more or less been Max Freed, and then kind of a wait and see what happens. But by the time we've gotten to this October series and this run through the postseason the Braves would like to get on, it really is a case of last man standing. This rotation, obviously going to be led by Max Freed, rookie Ian Anderson, and another, you know, not-so-tested arm in Kyle Wright as well. That looks like the one, two, three the Braves are going into October with. I don't really see any other options. I don't know what happens after the third game of a playoff series, but that's what they've got to concentrate on right out of the shoot is winning a three-game series against the Cincinnati Reds. What do you make of the Braves' rotation, and do you have any concern about Max Fried, given that he's only thrown a handful of innings over the past basically calendar month? It's certainly not an ideal way for him to enter the postseason. I'm not overly concerned about it, but I mean, it's, it's certainly worth noting. And if, you know, if it doesn't go as well as he thought, 
uh, certainly he'll get questions about it, and we'll you know we'll be overanalyzing it for quite a while unless they come back and win the series. But with Ian Anderson and Kyle Wright, you know, obviously the Braves are going to hope they won't even have to play that third game to where it comes down to that. But you could wind up seeing uh, mm-hmm. Vanderbilt versus Vanderbilt in that third game. By the That's way, true. But it is truly just impossible to predict how these guys are going to perform yet in the post. First of all, we have what what like six games of Ian Anderson in the majors, right? And now, look, I mean, from day one, he has looked the part. He has looked like a veteran. He's been re- he's been mature. I mean, everything you could possibly want that would signal, hey, this kid is, is ready for this, he has shown. So if you're going off of all you can go off of, you should feel okay about starting Ian in this game. Right? You know, he is totally reinvented himself since he came back from the alternate training site he is a lot more confident he looks more comfortable and again that's all we have to go off of there too so you know uh, of course you're worried about the rotation because there's a lot of unknown here you know we saw max freed come out of the bullpen and he was huge last year uh, really really impressive in that role haven't seen him start yet but again not really worried about that at all i think at this point we kind of know what we're going to get about max freed I would be floored if that start did not go well for him, to be honest with you, especially against this lineup that's really kind of a feast or famine group. So, yeah, the rotation is certainly concerning, to put it lightly. But there's enough reason for optimism that I'm not going into this going, yeah, the Reds have the rotation advantage for sure, but there's no reason to really panic about this rotation now, which is – Really, the first time all year we've been able to say that these last couple weeks here. Yeah, you know, it's unfortunate that Cole Hamels uh, wasn't able to put things together and be right. part of this group because I think just having a guy who has been there, done that, uh, to have ahead of Kyle might have been big. You know, uh, five days from now it could be like, well, thank God that Wright got that third game yeah. start because he looked awesome. You know, you never know. So it's going to be really fascinating to see. And uh, you know, if these guys impress, if Ian pitches well, I mean it. You know, the Braves have a lot to be excited about uh, in the present and moving forward. Yeah, and as you look at this rotation, this Braves rotation that has been very much patchwork all season long, Ian Anderson has six starts in the big leagues. Meanwhile, Kyle Wright has 12 career starts in the big leagues, so not exactly a huge sample size between these two guys. Wright, though, as you mentioned, pitched a lot better when he came back from the alternate training site. Meanwhile, for Anderson, very few hiccups thus far in his young career, knock on wood, and a great way to start it by matching up and beating Garrett Cole in his major league debut, going back-to-back, beating the Yankees and Red Sox, becoming one of the very few pitchers in baseball history to be able to pull that off. That's pretty impressive, let alone being a National League pitcher and beating those two American League tradition teams or tradition names, if you want to call it that. But overall, Ian Anderson's numbers pretty much point out the fact that he's been, save a handful of walks, really, He's hard to hit. He does not give up home runs, and he picks up a lot of strikeouts, i.e. he misses a lot of bats. And that, of course, is what the Braves offense is going to be facing as they match up against the likes of Bauer and Gray and Castillo in that series. But I do think Ian Anderson is kind of a dark horse, maybe the uh, you know X factor, if you will, of this Braves rotation. I think it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway since we're in an audio medium here and this is a podcast. The Braves really need to win the game started by Max Freed, not only because it's game one, but because that is the one time they'll be able to throw their best pitcher and their most known commodity. So how much pressure do you think that adds to the mix right out of the gate for the Braves to take that opening game of that series? Because it's best two out of three. Oh, it's huge. It is gigantic. And because last year, I mean, they, you know, you thought they were going to take game one last year. They wound up letting it slip away. But, I mean, that was the best out of five. 
you know, and look, I mean, Trevor, Trevor Bauer and Max Freed have, have both been two of the best, what, six starters in the NL this season. Yeah. I mean, maybe even better. So, I mean, when we talk about a coin toss game, that's, I mean, that's pretty much what this would be. You know, it's probably going to be, can the Braves get his pitch count up like they did in that Cleveland start? Can they go, can they get the bullpen in sooner? And then, you know, the Braves have the bullpen advantage. They do have that. It, but you're, yeah, if they're, if they're playing from behind, they might be in some trouble because I, I think you want to have Ian go out there. I mean, duh, you want to have the 1-0 lead. Right. But just going out there and knowing that the team can't be eliminated, I, I think just that in the back of your mind helps. At least not, I should say instead, not having the pressure of this is it. And again, Ian has shown, like we keep talking about, he has shown that he's capable of handling this, but the postseason is a whole other animal. We've seen, I mean, Clayton Kershaw is the greatest pitcher of our generation, and we, and we have seen what's ha- what happens to him in, in October too. So you really never know, and you're and we're gonna and regardless of what Ian does in this series, we're gonna need a bigger sample size before obviously before we can really confidently say what kind of postseason pitcher he is. But yeah, I mean to circle back to your actual point, it, game game one is just gigantic, and I mean I, I personally I think this is gonna go three. And, and I say that just because I, I just – with the pitching match, it just feels like it should be one-and-one. One. Um, but, uh, I mean, if the Braves, if the Braves could win game one, then, then certainly uh, – I mean, that, that, <laughs> that, that put them in a pretty good spot, obviously. Yeah, it definitely will. And the big thing about the Max Freed element of this is really the only question that you're dealing with is – what is the status of his health? Because he had the back spasm deal. And I think Brian Snicker kind of in looking back on it, thought that maybe shutting free down for that long wasn't necessarily the best move. I'm interested to kind of hear your take on that because it seems like maybe the extra couple of days would have helped. Maybe you bring somebody up, do some kind of other, you know, move as far as your, your active roster is concerned and just give free a couple of days. And this kind of goes back to the fact that he's only thrown what six innings, since the 5th of September. And, and that to me is the only real you know, murky area or, or, or question mark that you have about, around Max Freed. It's not the season he put together. He's been outstanding. It's just where is he at physically and the ankle thing in his season finale, that didn't really help out a lot either. So I know you said that your you know, concern level about Max Freed is relatively low, but looking back on it in hindsight being what it is, maybe this last month has just been a case of being cautious and perhaps even a little bit too cautious for the Braves, if that's possible. Yeah, it's small things, but the, these things can add up. I mean, like you just you just listed them, but, you know, a, a back issue, an ankle issue, and just the possibility of rust when you have thrown six innings yeah. in, such a, in such a large span. I mean, that's very real. And then you just kind of add the postseason pressure, which, again, he, he looked good. He looked good last year, but – you just add on those innings are a little harder. The stress, you know what what you're de- what you're dealing with. I, I, there's no fans. I get it that it, it's it's going to be it's still the postseason. So there are while my concern level is low in that I expect Freed to perform well. Uh, it would also not surprise me if he's not quite himself. Now again, that's still a pretty good pitcher. I, I don't think it would disrupt him to the point that he's just bad. Um, but if he's just not dominant, I mean, I mean, certainly there are a lot of things that you can point to and just go, you know, there's just small things that have kind of added up here that just 
really kind of messed up, uh, messed up the rhythm he's on when he had had such a good season. Yeah, and that's really kind of what I was pointing at, and probably what Brian Stutker was thinking about after the fact was, you know, given he didn't know that Max was going to have that little ankle issue, and I understand completely taking him out of that start. I certainly don't want him throwing in a meaningless game if the Braves have already sewn up their spot in the postseason. They've already clinched, and they've got that number two seed locked down. You don't want to push Max Freed any further than that for innings that don't matter when you're about to get into the most important innings that you're going to throw all year. So I, I do think it's worth monitoring, but I'm with you. I'm not overly concerned about that. The velocity dip has been a little bit curious at the very least, but we'll see yeah. what Max has to offer if maybe the postseason adrenaline will have him a little bit amped up, and that'll kind of even itself out. But getting a big start from Max Freed is obviously one of the keys to victory for the Braves, not only in game one, but also in this series. And then looking big picture at these pitching staffs, the Cincinnati Reds rotation, 3.50 ERA this year, and of course, markedly better when you just take out Bauer, Gray, and Castillo, who the Braves will be facing. Atlanta Braves starting pitching rotation, 5.51 ERA on the season. And again, huge sample size, and you're not going to see all those guys in the three-game series, but it pretty much lets you know that the starting rotation edge goes to the Cincinnati Reds. It was pretty obvious. Bullpen edge, though, Braves with a three and a half ERA at one of the best bullpens in all of baseball. In fact, they were number four in all of MLB and number two in the National League as far as bullpen ERA is concerned. Then you look at the Cincinnati Reds and they're down around 17th in Major League Baseball with a four and a half ERA from their bullpen. So as if it wasn't already blatantly obvious by just looking at the names and looking at the numbers of the individual starters, when you start to look at and take into account what the Braves' bullpen is capable of and what it's been asked to do this year, meanwhile, what's kind of happened for the Reds' bullpen, you have to feel like the more innings that the Braves' starters are able to give them, the more quality innings, the more the scale seem to tip towards the Braves once you start to factor in the two offenses. At least that's the way I look at it, just from what the Braves' lineup has done day in and day out for majority of this year, save the handful of games that you're just not going to be able to score 29 runs and the questions around the Reds offense, which certainly has not been one of the best in baseball. Yeah. The Braves have the advantage in the bullpen and they have the advantage in the lineup while their team ERA for starters doesn't really tell the whole story because of how things have looked lately. Uh, the Reds definitely, the Reds obviously have the advantage there. So you have an advantage in two of the three key areas. I trust the Braves' bullpen, and yeah, you're right. You want the starters to cover as much as you can. If it comes down to if Ian has a start where he only goes three or four innings, but he holds them to a run, but he, he piles up a lot of pitches, mm -hmm. you know, at least you are at a point where your bullpen has been good enough that you should feel okay having these guys come in. Not ideal, but at least you do have one of the better, you know, one of the three or four best bullpens in the game to kind of cover you there. And as we've seen, how many times this season starter gets chased early the bullpen holds the other team down and the offense just breaks out with like a four or five run inning late yeah so i mean that's harder to do during the playoffs but that i mean that formula very well could come into play here and we'll see what each game has in store because while numbers can tell you all they can as far as what's been happening on paper all year long you can kind of throw a lot of this out because then it becomes all about just winning series at this point and that's kind of been the braves mindset for about as long as I can remember, dating back to Bobby Cox, and I don't think it's changed much under Brian Snitker, you want to just continue winning series. Because if you continue doing that, you will keep playing baseball until there's no more baseball left to be played. The Braves just got to find a way to do that against the Cincinnati Reds. And 
I don't think it can uh, be ignored that the two clubs are very, very different in what's made them successful this year. But overall, I would say advantage Braves, but the real, I think, game within the game, if you want to call it that, is going to be what these starters are able to do for Atlanta and what the Red starters are able to do against an offense like the Braves that, as you pointed out a little bit earlier, I don't think that they've been facing on a regular basis over in the Central. I mean, even as you looked at some of the you know, MLB.com lists of oh, best offenses in baseball, I think an ESPN list that came out, oddly enough, the Braves, I don't really think even got their due for best offenses in baseball from a national perspective, which is not altogether surprising. But when you consider the September that the Braves have put together, the fact that they should have the National League MVP and another guy that should be a top five in Marcelo Zuna, obviously Freddie Freeman being the, you know, the headliner, if you will, the Braves offense this year, you have to feel pretty good about the Braves ability to score runs and bunches because they've done it on a regular basis for quite some time. And this is, as you pointed out again earlier, one of, if not the most powerful Braves offense we've ever seen, even if it was only a 60 game season. Yeah, it was a, it was a great group. And, it's kind of funny that they're still so underappreciated nationally. It's not really surprising, but, you know, it's weird. The, the Braves have had as much success as – and I know that baseball is not registering on the national scale like it used to now, but, you know, it feels like they've always been pretty underappreciated, whereas, you know, if, if the Mets or Phillies offense was, was doing what the Braves are doing, it, there, there'd be a lot of pub there. So, mm-hmm. uh, but that But that's another point. Um no, yeah, uh, they, they're certainly capable of scoring runs in bunches, but you know what? So was last year's team. And it goes back to what to what you've been saying really the whole podcast is this is the best out of three now. And as we saw last year, I mean, just things can just change quickly. And I know Freddie was hurt. You know, Donaldson didn't play well in that series. Marcakis didn't play well in that series. Uh, but you know that it's it's this is three games. It, anything can happen in three games. Like, I think we mentioned a couple podcasts ago the time that the that just horrific Orioles team uh, won the series in Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, and obviously that's, that's a much different circumstance, but uh, in a three game series, you never know. I mean, it, it and it obviously and same goes for five and seven, but if you have one, you know, one error, one hit, you know, one pitch, uh, it really is just uh, it, this, this three game, you know, I don't know that, I want to see MLB do this three-game series thing again. Sure. Well, maybe for the wild card, but this is going to be fascinating to watch regardless. Yeah, it's going to be quite the study. And whether or not this expanded playoff is going to stick around or there will be some tweaks that are made to it because there's the weird thing about baseball where people don't want to sit around for too long waiting to then play their next game. So I'm interested to see what they take from this and what they decide to do with it moving forward. But for the time being, just being a veteran of seeing the wild card game go incredibly wrong in 2012, it doesn't hurt my feelings that it is a best two out of three. Of course, if the Braves had won the wild card game in 2012, I might be saying the exact opposite because, hey, why are you making us play two more games? But regardless, this is the scenario that the Braves find themselves in. And of course, all 16 teams in the playoffs find themselves having to win this two out of three to advance and get into the bubble and then the National League and American League Division Series, Championship Series, and, of course, the World Series will all be played thereafter. So it's going to be fascinating to see how all of this shakes out. Let's look at a couple of other odds and ends for the Braves. And, of course, this is not just a, you know to be swept under the rug, but injuries for Atlanta, for any team when you get into October. Those are going to be a storyline, and the Braves had some beyond Max Fried in the final weekend of the regular season. We'll start with the biggest one, I think, of course, is 
the status of Ronald Acuna Jr., who was scratched in the season finale, dealing with some irritation in his left wrist. Of course, that's the same wrist that landed him on the injured list for two weeks back in August. Not sure how long he's been dealing with it really, how bad it is in relation to how bad it was to land him on the injured list a while back. But, Gabe, this is not news that the Braves wanted, but I think all things considered, had Acuna been in the postseason and dealing with this issue, he probably would have played ball. But the safe play for the Braves was not to press it in the finale of the season in a game that meant absolutely nothing. Yeah, I've got this one red flagged. Okay, no, you didn't need him to play in that game. You scratch him away, that's fine. But is this something, you know, they didn't really uh, give us many details about it, understandably. But we know he dealt with this in August, and he missed time, obviously. And now for it to just pop back up, is this something that, has kind of been there. I mean, he, it's not like he's been playing bad. I mean, he had that he had that long slump, and then he broke out of it. And it, you know, it's been it's been hit or miss. So it's not like he's had a great September, but but he's been hit or miss. So I'm not. It's hard to really tell from his performance. But is this something that has just been kind of eating away at him since he came back? Is this something that just popped up again? I mean, this this is uh, it, it's a it's a discouraging development to put it lightly. And you know what? Maybe he goes out there and he rakes in the postseason. Mm-hmm. And it's not something we even think about. But for you know, for him to have been a light scratch with that, just because it's the same thing for it to pop up, uh, I'm curious what you know what you think or you know what your level of concern with this is because for it to just randomly pop up or for uh, it to have been lingering, either one of those is uh, something that's really worth monitoring. On a scale of 1 to 10, I would probably put my concern currently at a 3, but you could talk me into a 5 really easy. I mean, it's not nothing, but I don't necessarily think it's end-of-the-world type scenario. And, of course, depending on, you know, what the scenario is for players and what their team is doing at that time, I mean, yeah, we saw this with Freddie Freeman last year where, for all intents and purposes, he was so injured that he really – you could have made a case for him not playing at all, but of course he's going to want to go out there and play because that's what he's played all year for. Now that affected his performance quite obviously, and I'm not saying that Acuna is going to need an off-season surgery to remove three bone chips from his wrist or anything crazy like that, but you know these guys want to go out and play. So my initial read was not ideal at all, but he's got three days to rest this thing up. Maybe he can get some treatment. I don't know if an injection would be something that they'll consider or not for this, if it's something that would even help or not. I mean, that's all speculation at this point, but not the news that the Braves wanted to hear about the catalyst for their lineup. I mean, yeah, Freddie's the MVP of this club. Marcelo Zuna flirted with a triple crown this year, but Ronald Acuna Jr. is the guy that gets it all started for the Braves. And I know you can make a case for you know, how big Ozzy Albies can be for them and a number of other guys that have had big moments for this club. But I think it all starts with Ronald Acuna Jr. That's what sets the tone for this offense. So if you're a Braves fan, understandably nervous would probably be the way that I would phrase hearing that Ronald is dealing with any kind of wrist ailment whatsoever after missing a couple of weeks already this season. Unfortunately, Gabe, that's not the only bad news they got in the final game of the season because Chris Martin came in and had to exit the game with a groin issue. Now, they downplayed that as well and and said it's precautionary and certainly don't want him out there trying to pitch in a game that means nothing to the club in the big picture. But this is eerily reminiscent of last year when Chris Martin came in to game one of the NLDS and strained an oblique, never pitched, and, of course, the Braves 
came apart in game one, and we all know how that series went and don't need to revisit it. But I don't think that anybody wanted to hear an echo from last October as far as that's concerned. Uh, how concerned are you about Chris Martin's status, and what does that do to the Braves' bullpen, which, while it has great depth, I mean, you start taking away key players, that changes the dynamics quite a bit. Yes, it does. And if, and if you know, I'm with you, I'd probably put Acuna at about a three or four because you're not to get sidetracked, but like you said, these, these sure. guys do deal with um, – they do deal with just different things throughout the course of a season. It's right. no different than, you know, one of us waking up when we, you know, you, you sleep bad on your neck or something. And for a day, it bothers you a little bit. It's no different for these guys. I mean, there's different things. And Acuna had that risk. And there might've been a couple of days that he felt a little something, but didn't say anything or it wasn't a big deal. And, and because yesterday was completely meaningless, they just, you know, they just said, we'll sit him. So if you put the concern there at about a three or four with Chris Martin, uh, I, I would go. I would go maybe a five or six. Yeah. Um. Uh, uh, you know, and you, depending on what we hear tomorrow, that could go even higher. Uh, that is not ideal uh, for him to have, for him to sustain that. I mean, he's the best reliever on this team, uh, in my opinion. Uh, he's certainly one of the best two two. Or, I mean, I guess you can debate it. You can go into stats and everything, but I just think yeah. from the beginning to end, Martin has been their best guy. We saw, like you mentioned it, we saw how that impacted game one last year when he left. That threw them out of sorts. They wind up losing that game. They don't have him. I mean, that was uh, – and it, it hurt him. And, get, you know, they bring Julio out of the bullpen. They didn't have Martin for that game. Uh, it, this would be a big loss. There's no doubt about it. The bullpen, it's deep enough that it's not – you know, it, it wouldn't kill them, especially, you know, maybe in the, in the three-game series. But uh, this, would be, this would be a big loss. We'll just have to see. You know, they, like you said, they said it was precautionary. They said it's a, it's a day-to-day thing, so we'll all we can kind of do is wait and see. The uh, SNIT is going to speak Tuesday, um, Tuesday afternoon, so we should have a better idea then of what we're looking at, if he's going to be ready. Uh, postseason rosters have to be set, I believe, on Wednesday morning, so they can take it down to the wire if they right. need to with him. But it, it's definitely it, – it's not nothing. It, it's something that uh, – could play a big role for you know if this team has aspirations to win the nl uh, i don't know how much time he would miss uh maybe he doesn't miss any time at all uh, you know maybe he turns out to be fine but it, it is it's definitely a little uh, small storyline that could that could mean a lot in the grand scheme of what this team is trying to do yeah it's that one thread that you pull that could cause things to come unraveled as we saw last year and i would say yeah. my concern level at again on a scale of one to ten for chris martin is, is probably a seven or an eight the concern level i'm not saying the injury level is yeah. a seven or an eight on a ten scale or anything like that but this is a big change for the braves as far as their late inning plans are concerned even if you have Mark Melanson, who by and large has been a, a quality reliever for the Braves this year, things get interesting every once in a while, but for the most part, he's been able to get the job done. But that cast of characters that gets the ball to Melanson, Chris Martin has been you know, one of the most consistent, and to your point, one of the best relievers for the Braves all year long in a bullpen that's been a huge strength for this club. We've seen some hiccups here and there from Shane Green, but I still feel pretty good about him. Uh, Will Smith has had a problem with a home run ball this year. I think overall he should be the Braves' best reliever. That hasn't been bearing it out as far as numbers are concerned, so you have to be a little bit at least worried about that. Him running into giving up a home run at a bad spot would not be what the Braves need in their late-inning plans to turn leads into wins, especially in a short series. And those are the questions that we'll have to ask. And it does bring up a few roster questions in particular. If Martin is unable to go, 
we saw again in the finale of the season what has been kind of the culmination of a bad year for Luke Jackson. I'm of the opinion at this point that he has pitched his way out of the Braves' postseason plans, and I think the only way he ends up on the roster in the postseason is if Chris Martin is not available, and even that is not a given. I think Jacob Webb has certainly pitched his way into the Braves' plans at that point. What do you make of that, of Luke Jackson's season, and whether or not you think that he should have a spot on the Braves' postseason roster, even though it's expanded to 28 players? Yeah, he does not deserve a spot on the postseason roster. Uh, it's you know I thought that I'm with you and, and numerous others. I thought that the criticism of him last year was uh, a bit strong. I, yeah. I think he kind of became a punching bag for a lot of fans and a scapegoat uh, to an extent. You know, don't get me wrong, there were a lot of moments that he was not good last season too. Uh, so I'm not like absolving him of blame. He was just an okay reliever, and the reality is, is like uh, baseball. And this is a the seasons are very long and not every freaking reliever is, you know, <laughs> it's Chris Martin, you know? Yeah. And so you, you know, a guy like that, he's fine. He shouldn't have been closing games for them at any point. Don't get me wrong, but that was, you know, him That's to him and were. Swarzak. Yeah. The, the, the Jackson and Swarzak thing where those two guys were carrying the bullpen. We're, we're a long way from that now. And, you know, I thought that Jackson was going to benefit this season being in a much more uh, well-suited role for him. And it, it really hasn't happened. It feels like that a lot of uh, this year he has been what a lot of people kind of thought he was last year. I, I think that that's kind of, kind of where we're at. He has not been good this year at all. And if you're trying – I mean, if you're, try, if you're trying to cover innings in a regular season game against – the Brewers on a Tuesday, whatever. But when you're trying to win a World Series, uh, the way the way he's he's pitched this year, I just uh, I'd have to look at the numbers, but I would just have a hard time putting him on that roster. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about the numbers with his bad performance against Boston on the final day of the season. He has a whip just under two. I mean, the hits have skyrocketed. The walks are obviously not helpful, but his strikeout numbers have basically been cut in half. He had 13.1 strikeouts per nine last year, averaging about seven this year. So he's not missing bats. He's given up way more hits. He's walking guys. There's too many base runners flat out. And I just don't think that you can take that kind of chance and trust this guy in a game because you don't need a mop-up reliever for the three-game series that you're going to be in. You need the best arms that you've got. And if somebody gets thrust into that role where they're having to you know, cover some innings, then you better have somebody tasked that can come in and throw zeros and keep that other club off the board and give the Braves offense whatever opportunity you can, even if the score gets a little lopsided at times. You just you can't take a knee on a game, if you will, and, and bring in a guy, wave a white flag, whatever you want to call it, and bring in a substandard reliever in a high-pressure situation or even just in a postseason situation in general. So, again, and this is not to belabor the point because I think you hit the nail on the head with a lot of the criticism – of Luke Jackson last year, I think was unwarranted. I think he was a valuable reliever. And I think that the Braves were flat out out of options when he started closing games for them. They had to go out and make three big trades at the deadline just to fix their bullpen problem. And that also helped them fix their bullpen problem for this year, in addition to bringing in Will Smith. But as you pointed out, not not every reliever is going to be the most consistent or the most standout reliever in all the National League. They're going to have highs and lows, good outings and bad outings. Over the course of 162, maybe it plays out differently. But this year for Luke Jackson, you know, this ain't it, as they say. It's just not been a good year for him. And I think that the Braves need to explore all the options they can to carry the best 28 players that they can 
to beat the Cincinnati Reds in this series. A couple of other quick roster questions for you. Danny Echeverria also looked very bad throughout this season for the most part. Very limited at bats, but got thrust into some playing time at third base, and that left a lot to be desired, so much so that the Braves brought Pablo Sandoval into the mix. They signed him not long ago after he was cut loose by the Giants. Pablo got the start in the final game of the season against the Red Sox. He's a switch hitter. He's got postseason experience. I think that this might have been a little bit of a nod to what way the Braves are leaning when it comes to who's going to be on that postseason roster. And maybe not just at Echeverria's expense, but also as you think about backups for up the middle, maybe Johan Camargo is going to get a lifeline thrown to him as well just based on what the Braves' needs are to round out their bench and have all their bases covered, no pun intended. Yeah, I, it's it's possible. I, you know, bringing in Sandoval, I think, says what they have thought of uh, the job that Hesheveria and Camargo have done this season. Yeah. Um, obviously, Camargo hasn't been here for a while, but he was not. his play was not very inspiring when no. he was here. And, you know, I don't know what's up with – you know, Hesh was pretty big for this team at the end of last year. Um, just as like a for, for a guy that they just you know picked up for nothing, and he just kind of came in and helped. You know, Dansby was hurt, and uh, and Camargo was not playing well then either. And they wind up bringing Hetch in, and you know he has he actually had some pretty big moments for this team. They had the the game in New York. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, he he definitely he had some moments. I, I you know is he was he rusty toward the end? I mean, he hasn't looked good at all all year he's only played in what like 24 or 5 games mm-hmm. uh he looks i mean he looked terrible in these last few i mean there's yeah. there's there's no i mean he just looks no terrible. sugarcoating so, how bad he looked at third base too i mean it was it was not playable no yeah yeah no no doubt i don't know uh again and and that's and that's weird to me because you know snid people have always kind of praised how he was always like ready to play and you know how how prepared he is and how he's able to just come off the bench after a while and just fill in and defense is that was his thing so i don't really know what was going on but just completely abysmal um i, I don't know i don't know what what in the world the deal is there but uh again you're trying to win a world series you don't have time to screw around with uh, you know, guys, with guys doing this. So, uh, will he be on the roster? We'll see. It does look like Sandoval will be. Interesting move. I uh, I don't know that it moves the needle one way or sure. another. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's nothing. I mean, it's a good talking point. It's it's interesting. This is a guy obviously with uh, an October resume. I don't know how much that means now, but it's better than not having one, I guess. And yeah. you know, he seemed to move okay at third on Sunday. Uh, you know, he, he, so, I mean, there's that at least, uh, he, he looked better than, than Hatch has as crazy as, as crazy as that sounds, but, uh, yeah. And based on the team's needs, are you looking at a scenario that maybe this Camargo come back up? I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see, but I would think at this point that certainly Sandoval, uh, will be on the postseason roster. Yeah. They have a lot of questions to answer about how many pitchers they're going to carry as well and whether or not that will, you know, dictate, an extra player on the bench. I don't know if they you know, would need to carry a third catcher or anything weird that they've done in the past. Maybe, maybe not. Not really sure how they'll go with that. But more to the point of something that was another concern as I kind of circle back to injury question marks in the final week of the season, Austin Riley was another one because he was dealing with, I believe it was a sore quad. So you've got some different questions around some players that, yeah, there's a big difference in, well, is Acuna ailing and is Austin Riley ailing? But then again, if your starting third baseman is not available to you, that becomes another problem, which thrusts a Pablo Sandoval or Johan Camargo or a Danny Echeverria 
into duty, whereas you would much rather be rolling your dice and having Austin Riley out there, I'm certain, for what he can bring you at the plate, if nothing else. And I thought this season for Austin, while not perfect, and while it certainly had some highs and lows, was a step forward overall, even if the numbers and some of the metrics don't bear it out. You want to have Austin Riley in there if you're putting together the best nine for the Braves and taking the field in this wild card round to beat the Cincinnati Reds. I agree. And I think that Riley, I agree, he made steps forward this year. I think a lot of it was not shown statistically. Uh, some of just his plate discipline and whatnot. I think sure. I think he had his moments. I think he showed enough that um, you could see some progress. And, you know, that's a guy who you really would have liked to, obviously everyone you wanted to see the 162-game sample size, but for the sake of development and planning for the future, that's a guy that they probably really would have wanted to see over a full season. As of now, I think, you know, just a little peek ahead here, just based on what this team's needs are going to be in the offseason, the assets, the resources they have available, I think you can feel okay just penciling him in. I don't think you need to go out of your way trying to add, you know, a, a full-time third baseman. I, right. I think you're good there, and we'll see what happens next year. I think he's, he has earned that, which at, in earlier parts of the season, it didn't necessarily look like that was going to be the case because he did struggle. Uh, but really, to this point, he, he kind of turned it around. He, he did show some improvement. And as for this postseason series, yeah, I mean, they need him out there. They need him out there defensively. Uh, the drop-off from him to whoever would be the backup is pretty big. Yeah. And that's saying that Riley is a decent player. As an average player would be the the best way to put it. Um, and the, the other options are, are well below average. So, uh, for, you know, they have kind of downplayed this thing. It seemed, you know, he, he missed, I think, four of the last five games uh, just getting rest. He'll have had plenty of rest by the time that the series rolls around. So if we take them out their word, he should be good to go for Wednesday. Well, hopefully Austin Riley will be in there for the Braves. They've certainly got their fair share of questions as they head into this round, the wild card round. And the biggest thing from a roster perspective, Gabe, as well, is the 40-man player pool that you have for the postseason. You don't have the 60-plus players that you had in the regular season. You have to pare that down. you got 28 active, 40 in the postseason player pool. So those decisions will be interesting as well for the Braves to see, you know, who gets the nod. And some of them will be pretty obvious. Others of them, you know, maybe there'll be a couple of surprise players here or there. Who knows how that whole thing will play out. But either way, some things to monitor for the Braves as they make those decisions. Of course, Cole Hamill's done for the year. He was placed on the 45-day injured list in order to put Pablo Sandoval onto the 40-man roster. That was a move that was made in advance of Sunday's finale against Boston. And as Gabe mentioned, Sandoval did get into the starting lineup, get that start at third base, and I, I thought he looked fine as far as a guy who hadn't played in a few weeks and moved around third base and made the plays, if you will. And that's really, I think, all you can ask for at this point if you don't have Austin Riley out there or just more to the point, you wanted to see Pablo Sandoval go out there and give you a little bit of confidence in what he may have in the tank in case he is called upon at any point however deep the Braves get into the postseason. So, Gabe, I'm interested just to take kind of a wide view of what everything's looking like in the 2020 postseason. It took us a while to find exactly who was going to be filling the final few spots, but I'd be interested to go through the uh, bracket, if you will, at least for the first round and see what you like about some of these other matchups if you're up to it. Yeah, sure, let's do it. All right, well, let's start with the number one seed, which, of course, is the L.A. Dodgers. They're going to be taking on the eight-seed Milwaukee Brewers. What do you make of that series, and who do you like? Yeah, I don't give the Brewers much of a chance here. Um, but you know what? They didn't even – they kind of got lucky to even get in, and yeah. it's still a playoff appearance. 
and it's still, you know, a playoff appearance for Yelich, which is more than what Anaheim has done for Trout lately. Yeah. So good for them for making it. They, you know, they lost to the Cardinals. I think the Giants and Phillies both lost to get them in. I mean, you know, in the future, if we stick with the expanded playoffs, you know, maybe the first seed, maybe the second seed, you know, I'd have to look at how we're going to do it. But, you know, maybe somebody deserves a buy here. Just yeah. because it, it just seems strange if we're doing this over the course of a long season. I understand it this year, but over the course of a long season, it just feels kind of unnecessary for the Dodgers to be playing this. Um, and, and to a degree, I mean, you could argue the Braves, too, uh, getting yeah. blocking up the two seed. Again, I, that's another discussion for another day. But uh, I think it could be – it should be a fun series. I mean, Yelich play these teams met in the NLCS not too long ago. So Yelich is from out there. Uh, so you know, there's there's a few fun storylines, but I, I I think we all, I think we all know know how this is probably going to end. Yeah, and the Dodgers have once again proven to be one of, if not the best teams in baseball. Once again, it seems to be their annual rite of passage. But the big thing for them has been getting over that hurdle because as much as we talk about you know, the Braves having some postseason futility, and of course the circumstances in 2017, maybe even 2018 for the Dodgers are wildly different than we're talking about for the Braves because the Dodgers were at least in the World Series those years. But they haven't won one since Kirk Gibson hit that big home run off Dennis Eckersley back in 1988 as far as winning the World Series. So the Dodgers are hungry to do that and really start to cash in on, as you mentioned, one of the best pitchers of this or any generation in Clayton Kershaw. And, oh, by the way, getting one of the best players in all of baseball locked down, and that's Mookie Betts. So they've got some big-time players out there and big-time aspirations as well. Let's go ahead and go to the two-seed Braves and the seven-seed Reds. I went on local television here this week. I said, I think the Braves take this series in two-out-of-three fashion. What do you make of the series? That's where I'm at, too, honestly. But I'll say this. you know, I, I picked the Braves in three, but <laughs> they really need to win game one, to put it lightly. If you're in a position where you're down and then you're going to be facing Castillo and you're starting a rookie, I think that – Honestly, I think that I just have a feeling. I, I don't have much reason behind this. I have a feeling if the Reds win, I think the Reds will win in two. And I think uh, I'm picking the Braves in three, but if the Reds do win, I just feel like there's a scenario where they just they beat Freed and then they just take that second game. So I, I think that's probably the best path for the Reds, even though you would probably like Sonny Gray in a game three over Kyle Wright. But I just feel like this is the year, you know, the, the Braves are facing a team that has even less postseason experience than they do. And not that they're inexperienced now. I mean, they've had two years of this, but just as a franchise, this team hasn't had Cincinnati is not, you know, they just haven't, they have some guys who have been there, but just collectively as a franchise, you know, they're still, they're not really where the Braves were a couple of years ago because their roster is not loaded with kids. I mean, they do have veterans. They have guys who have pitched and played in the playoffs, but I like the Braves to finally get over the hump here. Well, we'll see if they can do that. I think that's what we both like to see. Braves in three is our prediction for that. I'll stick with the three seed, which is also in the same part of the bracket as the Braves are. That's the Cubs, and they are facing the Miami Marlins, the playoff-bound Marlins. Not something we thought we'd be saying even two months ago, especially after they had their huge COVID-19 problem and early in the season, it seemed like, Things were going from bad to worse for the Marlins. Turns out, pretty good ending to their fairy tale this year. They're back in the playoffs for the first time since 2003. They're playing the Cubs. How do you see that series unfolding? I think the Marlins have a real chance here. I, I really do. I, I never thought I'd say something like that. But um, 2020 is a wild real, year for sure. And their team that and we talked about this. Uh, we talked about this a podcast or two ago. They have no pressure. 
no expectations. They're going up to Wrigley. Uh, and, and by the way, another neat little storyline for baseball here, uh, Cubs-Marlins again. Uh, it, yeah. uh, this was the last time that the uh, the Marlins played in the in, uh, the last NL team that the Marlins faced. So, and obviously there was quite a storyline with that series. So, if they could beat you, Darvish, and that, I mean they've got a real chance. I, I think the Cubs pulling it out in three, but I would not be floored if the Marlins just came away and, and pulled out an upset here. They just uh, they're very frisky, and we'll see with the Cubs. I don't love the Cubs, but. But I am picking them. I, the experience, I, I give them a slight edge, but certainly I think the Marlins could make this could make this close. I'm going to go ahead and call the upset here, and I'm going to go with the Marlins. And it may not be because not. they beat you, Darvish, but just because Darvish can only throw one time in the series. And I know it's best two out of three, and I know that might fly in the face of, hey, the Braves have a must win in game one. They got to do it behind Max Freed. Same is obviously said for any club in any series. But even if the Marlins do lose that first game to Darvish and the Cubs, I feel like thereafter, all bets may or may not be off as far as that series is concerned. It could get interesting. I'll call the Marlins plucky. I'm sure they love that. But they are a club that has exceeded expectations all year. As you mentioned, pressure hasn't really been a thing down there for a while. They weren't expected to do a lot this year. They're playing with house money is the the phrase I like to use for it. And we'll see if they can cash in their chips against the Cubs up at Wrigley Field in that series. And then the other series in the National League is the four-seed Padres against the five-seed Cardinals. Who do you like out there? I like San Diego, but we do this with the Cardinals. It feels like every time. Unfortunately. Yeah, they just, I will say this, it's not an ideal matchup for the Padres just because this is a team that is, you know, tested now and, you know, St. Louis always does weird stuff in the playoffs. And so it's not an ideal matchup for San Diego. I just think San Diego is just a lot better. I really, I mean, sure, anything can happen in these in these uh, three game series. I get it, and and I certainly wouldn't be surprised if the Cardinals advanced. Like that wouldn't, I mean, that wouldn't even register, especially because I don't think that Clevenger is pitching in this series. I think they're hoping he'll come back next series if they advance. I, I'd have to check that. Uh, Lamette is supposed to pitch, but he had a little biceps issue, so there are some. There are some red flags. I think Tatis is starting to get going again a little bit. But I, I do I do like the Padres here. Honestly, it could be a route. I wouldn't bet on that, but I really do think that the Padres have a lot more talent than the Cardinals right now. Yeah. And we'll we'll see how that unfolds over a two or three game series. Well, as the Cardinals have shown, if you give them an opportunity and leave that window open for them or the door cracked, if you will, they will come in and make themselves right at home. So we'll see what they're able to do, even against a team that has been as surprising and as powerful as the San Diego Padres have been. But I'm going to go Padres over Cardinals in this series as well. Obviously not ideal to have question marks in your starting rotation. We know all about that down here in Atlanta. But I do think the Padres have the firepower to win that series against the Cardinals. We'll see how it plays out. That would make for a Cardinals-Dodgers NLDS for us. Uh, for you, that would be what Cubs and Braves and the other NLDS. And for me, that would be the Marlins and Braves in the NLDS. And we'll kind of stick a pin in it right there and not go too much further in the bracket. But that's the way we look at the National League side. On the American League side, the number one seed, best team in the American League. They were my World Series pick out of that league because I do it every year. The Tampa Bay Rays, they're taking on the Toronto Blue Jays, two clubs that are very familiar with one another. Who do you like in that series? And on paper, this is a pretty evenly matched squad, and surprising, I think, might be the word for both of these teams. First, the Rays being the best team in the American League, and secondly, the Blue Jays 
just managing to get through everything despite not ever playing a game in Toronto this year. Yeah, credit to the Blue Jays. I mean, that was kind of the start from hell that they had, not even knowing. I think they started the season on the road, and they still didn't know they were going to play in Buffalo until like a day or so into the season, if I remember correctly. like. So and that's and again that's another young team. I mean that's it's not like that's a team just loaded with with uh, veteran guys who have been there and done that. So I, I like the Rays here, but Toronto has played Tampa Bay pretty well. They're always a tough out against the Rays, so it, I would guess it, it goes three, and uh, the Rays wind up winning. But uh, all the credit to Toronto for for getting this far and doing it under the circumstances that they did it under. And for the Rays, I mean that's a really that's a nice three-headed monster on the top of the rotation. They just have bullpen arm after bullpen arm. They they come up with timely hits. That's a really really good team. And, and you know, our people should they be the American League favorite? I mean, if you're number if you're the number one seed, I guess you should be. So, yeah. there. Uh, I, I picked them. You picked them to win the World Series. I picked them to win the AL East, uh, just because I didn't trust the Yankees' injury situation, which proved to be accurate. And they naturally had a bunch of injuries, but this Tampa Bay team has had a ton of injuries too. And people don't really mention that like they mentioned the Yankees. So uh, really, really uh, two, two teams that I think are going to be forces in the American league for a long time. Yeah. And very interesting club in the blue Jays. It's kind of like the Marlins only, I think more talented or maybe further along in some of the guys yeah. that they have and the offense, of course, that they have, and they could put it on the Rays. but from a matchup perspective, I do think Tampa Bay has the arms to keep that offense at bay and win a two out of three series to move on to the ALDS. Uh, Looking down at the two seed in the bottom of the bracket, that's the Oakland Athletics taking on the Chicago White Sox. Oakland's had one of the best bullpens in baseball. They are going to be without Matt Chapman. That, of course, is a big-time setback for the A's, but they've been an outstanding team all year long. Meanwhile, the White Sox with that great story, huge surprise, really it just you know, putting it to the American League Central for a while, then all of a sudden they kind of backed into the playoffs. They did not finish off as the hottest team in the AL Central. They managed to you know hold on to that seed and get themselves into the playoffs, perhaps a year ahead of schedule or, or more. Who do you like in that series, and how do you see it playing out? This is a pretty fun series. This is two teams that we mm-hmm. don't see a lot of uh, in the National League and, and covering the Braves, so – uh, I, I think the A's win. The White, like you said, the White Sox haven't been playing great, and, and really, I just want Billy Bean to get that postseason series win. Uh, so I'm, I'm openly rooting for the A's. Um, so I mean, I hope it works out for them. The White Sox are just ridiculously talented. Yes, they are. Uh, that, that rebuild, uh, that one hit. That's uh, they that really worked out from from the Mankata trade, and that's with uh, Kopech being a total non-factor. Um, you know he's had a lot of he's had a lot of issues. They they just have, they have a lot going for them. Uh, they look like a uh, American League version of the Braves in some ways. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, former Brave Dallas Keuchel is there now. Uh, they, they're just they have a lot of young star position players. They've got Giolito. They've got the pitch. I mean, this it, it certainly wouldn't. They ended the season. disappointingly but if you just told me they went on some run and wound up in the ALCS or something like that wouldn't surprise me no I don't think it would either and this is a really hard one for me to call because I can see it going either way it's just if you look at how they enter the postseason I would say advantage Oakland and I wouldn't be surprised to see Oakland take this series however I also wouldn't be surprised to exactly as you said see these White Sox just kind of you know answer the bell if you will 
and start making their serious noise come October. As you mentioned, they got a, a lot of young star players. They've got Luis Robert. They got Eloy Jimenez. Uh, both of those guys had, I would say, powerful seasons. Some ups and downs mixed in there. But Jose Abreu kind of came out of nowhere to be the MVP of that club. And Tim Anderson, of course, followed up another uh, with another good campaign after winning a batting title last year. They've got a lot of talent. And Moncada really kind of had an off year, if you will. So it's been interesting to see you know, which guys have been contributors for them. And Dallas Keuchel certainly, along with Lucas Giolito, big help to that rotation. I think the Braves would love to have Dallas Keuchel hanging around after the year he had to be going into the postseason this time around. But it's funny the way these things play out. And for the White Sox, they spent the money on Dallas Keuchel, and thus far it has paid off for them. But I think I'm going to go athletics on this one because I think their pitching staff is good enough to keep the White Sox bats at bay. I'd love to be wrong about it just for the fun, as you mentioned, of this matchup. But I think the A's have the talent to win this series, so I'll go Oakland in that one. Let's go up to the three-seed Minnesota Twins. They're facing the six-seed Houston Astros. A lot of storylines that go into this one. The Astros, of course, looking for another piece of metal as they head through October. Meanwhile, the Twins, you know, these postseason victories for them, these series wins have been in short supply, and maybe they're just happy to be facing anybody other than the New York Yankees. Who do you like in that series? Yeah, it looked for a while like the seeding was going to position them with the Yankees again, and I'm like, I I know they're thinking, you have to be kidding me. Uh, Yeah, they would love to be the team that, uh, you know, whoever was going to match up with the Astros, you know, they would love to be the team to go ahead and knock them out. Uh, The Twins are really good. Uh, that's a, I mean, in fact, that, that AL Central is pretty damn impressive, and the Twins are really good. Uh, I, I like them in this series. I, I don't, I don't love. I mean, I don't love the Astros. I just don't love even from the beginning. Uh, I picked the A's to win the West even before uh, the shutdown and everything, just because I just, I just don't like the energy, uh, the vibe. I, I'm a kind of believer in that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and. I, I just didn't feel great about the Astros from the very beginning, and now you you know Verlander is down. Right. We you know we've all seen the graphs of all the batting averages and how they've dropped and everything, and everyone likes to talk about that. I and the Twins, I mean, not that the Twins need any extra motivation. My God, they've had enough postseason hurt to last you know, to last people's lifetimes. But the, I just they're gonna you know whoever was gonna face the Astros was gonna have a little extra adrenaline and. And I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if the Astros pulled this off because, you know, Minnesota is just one of those teams, unfortunately, like the Braves, that you're just like, of course, you know, they screwed something up when it mattered most. But uh, I'm going I'm to go with the Twins here. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Twins as well. I, I feel like they have enough offensively to do the trick. And I think pitching wise, more or less to me, it's kind of a wash between these two clubs. With no Verlander, that's clearly going to hurt Houston quite a bit, but they do still have Zach Greinke. Lance McCullers pitched really well down the stretch, and that'll, that's all great. But when I look at the offense for the Houston Astros, it's not what it was last year, year before, or year before that, for that matter. Clearly some things have changed out there, and it's no surprise to anyone. And as you mentioned, that storyline is something that 29 other clubs would be looking at. Man, I'd like the opportunity to really give the Astros their comeuppance. So I'm sure the Twins have to be thinking about that at least a little bit. And from the Astros' side, as you mentioned, kind of the vibe that and the energy that surrounds that team, it, it can't be good. No matter what they tell themselves behind closed doors, look, I've seen a lot of narratives that have come out of that. I know Astros fans are, are really up in arms and, and hate the fact that, you know, they're having to go through that and that their team is being raked over hot coals and that nobody feels sorry for them. But let me just point out that, the Astros are not an underdog story. Nobody is pulling for this group in the same way you would be, say, the Marlins or the White Sox or 
pick a team that may not should have been in the postseason this year. The Astros have an awful lot of baggage to carry with them wherever they go. And so I'm going to be fascinated to see how that series plays out. There's no time for the animosity to you know manifest on the field. I think we would have seen that over the course of the season a little bit more than we already did. For the Twins, it's all about winning a series, and I think they've got the club that's capable of doing it. I'm going to go Twins, but I'm going to go Twins in three in that series, which leaves us one more matchup on the American League side. That is the New York Yankees, the five seed, facing the number four seed Cleveland Indians, who seem to have a factory where they just build aces. And their ace this year is Shane Bieber. He won the triple crown, leading all of Major League Baseball in wins and ERA and strikeouts. Super impressive. Maybe the best pitcher that they've produced in Cleveland, and that's saying an awful lot. He'll face the Yankees, who have had injury questions for the second consecutive year, but they're a dangerous, dangerous club. Uh, what do you like about the Indians, the Yankees, and how do you see that series playing out? You're right about the Indians because, I mean, they've gotten rid of Bauer. They got rid of Clevenger. They got rid of Kluber. I mean, Silly. it's like it's unbelievable the amount of frontline guys they've had. Uh, and now you've got – I mean, they're they're stacked with starting pitching. And, and, you know, good – and a team like that with ownership that's just not going to spend money. I mean, good for them that they have that kind of system because they need it and they've ma- managed to stay competitive for a pretty long while now. And, you know, they almost had that World Series against the Cubs. So. Yeah. To me, this might be the hardest one to pick to me. If I pick the Indians, I think, I think I'd pick the higher seed in every round, I want to say. But the Yankees are favored here. Uh, Cole versus Bieber is mm-hmm. going to be awesome. I mean, that, that, that is just that, – that's baseball porn. That's it. Uh, I think I want to go with the Indians. But at the same time, picking them, you just think – like the Yankees thing, if they lose this series, this is a disaster. Uh, and now, look, I mean, there's a lot of circumstances here. You know, it's not – you know how – but we know how New York is going to react to everything. Oh, of course. And for them to have gone out and gotten coal and they were deemed the American League favorites and, and you know, World Series favorites by some, and for them to get beat by the Indians in the, in the first round uh, would certainly uh, anger a lot of uh, our friends up in New York. But I don't know. I, that The Indians have the – the Indians have the – starting pitching advantage i just uh i I like the indians in three i'm gonna pick i should say i'm gonna pick the indians in three i do not feel great about any result i would pick in this series it really could go either way i'm with you though i i will go with the indians because i think that bieber coming in i know cole has the postseason pedigree or the experience that cleveland's not going to be able to match that per se and of course the yankees have all kinds of tradition and all of the things that they carry with them, like an aura into the postseason each and every year, even in years that yep. they don't make it to or win the World Series, which they're coming off a decade where they did not make a World Series appearance, which is the first time I think in uh, before Babe Ruth showed up in New York that the Yankees didn't at least appear in a World Series. So you talk about a, a streak or a string of almost and near misses for the Yankees that they had over the last decade, they're going to be looking, as they showed you, with writing the check to sign Garrett Cole, with getting Giancarlo Stanton, with making a lot of the moves that they've made. They're ready to make some noise in October. I am going to pick the Indians, though. And as you mentioned, picking the higher seed more times than not is, you know, that's not very exciting when you're, you know, seeding your March Madness bracket, yeah. among other things. But I really believe that the Indians right now have all it takes to beat the Yankees. Now, I think kind of along the lines of what you were saying, I don't feel great about it because I certainly feel like the Yankees could win this series. I think it goes three either way, and I think the Indians 
are going to be the club that advances in that. So a lot of interesting stuff going on at a huge playoff field, as I mentioned as well. And it's all going to get started in the middle of this week. And it's kind of a March Madness style because everybody's going to be, you know, in action and rolling merrily along in these three-game series and then working their way into the bubble uh, quickly as we kind of wrap things up. The bubble is in Arlington and Houston to start out in the NLDS. And the ALDS, it's San Diego and Los Angeles. ALCS goes to San Diego. NLCS goes to Arlington. What are your thoughts on the bubble? Do you think that this was necessary? And how do you think that's going to play out? Because I I feel like we're going to be looking at the same scenario we have all year long, which is empty stadiums, which doesn't really seem to be an advantage to anybody. But what do you feel about the uh, neutral sites? Well, I mean, I understand where people are coming from saying, why are we doing this when you've got, when you've been traveling for the regular season and the NFL is out traveling and you know, I, so I understand that. I also understand where MLB is coming from going, we cannot have any mistake here. Like you, you can't, you know, there, there can't be, there is no Marlins, yeah, I understand. Look, nothing's happened. Nothing big has happened since the Cardinals and Marlins things. You cannot afford to have that happen in the postseason. Respect, um, you know, from their perspective, monetary reasons with you know TV deals and everything. So I get it. Is it is it totally necessary? Uh, you can go either way on that. I mean, I don't really have a thought. I just I understand you know where they're coming from in doing it. Um, so it, it makes sense to me. I if the Braves advance, I'm going to be going to it. Um, so I'm going to be one of the, I guess, the few Atlanta people who's actually at this thing. So I'm really interested to just see what it's going to be like seeing them play. I guess it'll be at Minute Maid Park if they advance. And if they advance further, they're going to be moving on to Dallas. If I would think that's the case. I might want to look that up before I book my hotel. But sure. So it'll be interesting to see how all this unfolds. But uh, it, it's going to be weird. We've seen it with the NBA. You know, It took some time to get used to. It's not going to be as long with baseball. I think the World Series is scheduled to start October 20th. Uh, The NLDS starts exactly two weeks earlier, so it's not like they're going to be in the bubble that long. The longest they could be in it is for like three weeks, Mm -hmm. I think, thereabout. So it'll it'll uh, it'll be interesting how it unfolds and and watching you know if the Braves make it watching them play in an empty Minute Maid Park against the Cubs or Marlins will be (laughs) will be something to remember. It'll be a sight to see, and hopefully we won't see too many of those Fox virtual fans. Those have not been a good look this year. It's been kind of strange trying to put the video game style fans into the seats for home runs, balls hitting the outfield, that kind of thing. It's it's sometimes just trying too hard for that matter. But be that as it may, it will be interesting to watch how this bubble uh, plays out. And, of course, October baseball is always fun. So definitely appreciate you making all the time to go through not only what's going on with the Braves, but also – a look at the Major League Baseball postseason, which begins this week, and we're very excited about that. Uh, Gabe, I appreciate all your time as always. Look forward to chatting with you after the wild card round. Absolutely. Thanks for having me as always. So it is time for postseason baseball. We'll get started right before the month of October gets upon us as the Braves and Reds will match up on Wednesday and a whole lot of action happening this week in these best two out of three series. And I hope we've gotten you all ready for it, not only the Braves and Reds, but Everything else happening in the Major League Baseball postseason as it gets started this week. As always, you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this show, please leave a rating and share it with a friend if you'd be so kind. On Twitter, you can find the show at From the Diamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley. Gabe is at Gabe Burns AJC. On Instagram, at From the Diamond there. I am at Grant McCauley. And every episode of the show and so much more is available for you at FromTheDiamond.com. 
So I hope you're ready for some postseason baseball. Goodness knows I am. It's just that time of the year that every baseball fan looks forward to. And hopefully for the Braves, they'll be punching their ticket into MLB's playoff bubble and the National League Division Series if they can take two out of three from the Reds. Gabe and I will join you after the wild card round. So until then, for Gabe Burns, I'm Grant McCauley. We will catch you next time. So long, everyone.